Hello and welcome to College Admissions with Mark and Anna. Each week we talk about different college admissions topics and answer those tough questions you may be dealing with concerning getting into the college of your choice. We know how stressful this process can be, so each episode we try to make it easier to navigate. Now, here are your hosts, Anna Wren and Mark Hofer. Hello and welcome to the College Admissions Podcast with your host, Anna Wren and... Mark Hofer. Hi, Mark. How's it going? It's good. We have survived another year of applications. Yes, and what a doozy it was. Indeed. I think with uh, this year, as as we were talking about post-pandemic and how it's uh, modifying as we speak, I think um, one of the things that we haven't talked about um, previously is holistic application review, which more schools with As they have um, become test optional, uh, a lot of different schools are saying that they are using a holistic lens when they review applications. Is that what you're finding? Yes, absolutely. Um, I mean, it goes both ways. I've also heard rumors of certain public schools using AI computer technology to review applications as well. (laughs) But I think the majority have focused on holistic admissions in the absence of scores, especially. But I think the interesting thing is a lot of them are continuing to choose holistic admissions because they're getting a more diverse class uh, that they get to put together. Agreed. One of the things when you talk about AI being used for um, evaluations, uh, a lot of of companies use AI when they get applications in for jobs. And a lot of them are programmed to identify certain things. And they are establishing a way of identifying which kind of applicants are going to be most successful at their company. I think schools have also taken that up and they're using AI to identify those applicants who are going to be most successful at their school. So when they're using a holistic lens and if they're using AI to provide that kind of an evaluation, One of the things they have to do is identify what are the components that we are going to consider for being the most applicable for a successful student on our campus. So what do you think would be part of that holistic lens? I often tell my students some key things to get across for many universities these days is intellectual curiosity, uh, character, and, you know, helping a college understand what you'd like, what you would be like, both in the classroom and in the community. Agreed. I think, I think you are spot on. I think that curiosity and self-driven learning are, I hear more representatives saying that that's one of the things that they read essays and recommendations and the rest of the application for is, is this student curious? Are they willing to be a self-driven learner? And I think those are the things that can come across in that holistic evaluation if you provide it in the right way. And I think that was a key thing you said, if you provide it in the right way. So I think let's talk about where it appears or how can it be provided to colleges, Mark. So what are some key areas that you have your students focus on in the holistic review process? Well, one of the things that I think students often ask me, and I don't know about you, but students are often worried about duplicating information on their application. 
And while you don't want to say the same thing over and over and over, if they have different points of reference to highlight different things that they bring to the table, be that character, self-driven learning, uh, curiosity, all of those things, if they have different sources of reference that support each other, that's what provides that holistic view and it makes it sound and run more true. You're absolutely right. And I think, you know, the qualities you mentioned are absolutely correct. And I know when I tell my students, I say, hey, like, sometimes they think like certain spots are like optional, if that makes sense. And they are optional. <laughs> there are some things that are optional, right? But two of the key things I often tell my students to focus on are the letters of recommendation, whether they come from teachers or their counselors or, you know, outside of the school and also the additional information section. And I think it's, it's helpful because it provides context, right? Into, you know, why the student does what the student does, you know, if it's affected their academics at all. Um, and also gives a lens into what the student would be like in their future community. What are key aspects that you have your students focus on? Yeah, I think when you break down the application itself into its major components, you have essays, you have recommendations, and an activities list. And while you don't want them to sound like the same thing over and over, you do want them to dovetail and be able to support the story and the information from different perspectives. So I, that's one thing I, I tell students, you know, if you are going to be writing an essay, write it intentionally and think of it as part of a, it's only part of a larger puzzle that you're trying to provide an applicant or a, a reviewer to see. And, and when you provide that larger picture from different standpoints, if a recommendation talks about some of the same things that are in your essay, and if a recommendation talks about the things that are in your activities list, it brings more depth and more of a, a, a vivid picture of who you are and what you've done during your high school years. No, I, I love that. I think because sometimes admissions does say that they don't want repetition. But honestly, I would say like if your personal essay is already about a sport, you wouldn't make the supplemental essay about the sport too. Um, maybe that's the kind of repetition they're referring to. Um, but like you said, offering different perspectives or different lessons from an experience, that is that is different, right? That's adding texture, I think, to the application. Agreed. I, I mean, it, it happens for a lot of students who, who feel that they've only done one thing in high school. That could be sports, that could be music, that could be theater. And what they're worried about is they say, everything that I've done is related to, let's just say, soccer. So they play club soccer, they play soccer at school, and they play, they're, they're a ref for, uh, for um, younger soccer players. They're, what they're worried about is that just keeps sounding like soccer, 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 which is true. However, if you have somebody who's writing uh, a recommendation um, for you and they describe how they have watched you mature and how you have become a, you know, an integral part of other students' lives when you're refing a soccer game, and they can talk to it from that level. And then you can have another teacher who talks about, I've seen this student grow in these ways as a leader on their soccer team. 
So there are different ways that you can leverage what you do and what you love. I love that you just said that because I do think there are students that feel like because sports or like certain activities like musical instruments, they do take up so much time, right? And a student may not have time to do a bunch of activities that honestly they might not even care about. Um, so it's much more important that, you know, there are so many lessons or things we can learn about a student just from where they spend their time and from, and from different interactions with people around them. Absolutely. That's one of the things that I really encourage, especially sophomores and, and juniors, is if they do love something, if they find a real passion for a particular activity, and that can be everything from coding to sports to music to theater, all of those things, I encourage them to give back. And, and how can they provide inspiration and pay it forward in their community? Because that provides them a whole different outlet to do what they love to do, but also share it with others, grow as a person, grow in their community, and grow as a leader. So I think that's one of the things that I think students need to understand. Yes, you can do what you love, but share it with others, and that will allow you to um, provide a completely different um, perspective on the things that you do like to do that an evaluator might see in a completely different light. Yes. And then I think, you know, let's take a deep dive into actually some of these components, right? Like essays, for example. You know, I think why um, there are there are so many things to unpack with the essays, right? But I think, you know, I often tell students focus on character um, or things or personality or things that can't be easily gleaned from other parts of your application. That's what I like to tell students when it comes to the essay. But what do you usually tell them in terms of how to focus on, you know, essays when it isn't, uh, when it is a holistic review process? Sure. One of the things that I like to do, I mean, I, I tell students, yes, you know, you're, we, we, we've talked about this in previous episodes about you use a hook, you use a bridge, you use a good conclusion, you use examples to support um, what kind of character you are portraying. But one of the things that I, I like to encourage students to do is when, when they are writing, do it intentionally. And, and what I mean by that is make sure that, they're, um, that their examples that they provide in their essays, they know what they're going to write on their activities list. If they know kind of the things that they're going to ask a teacher to highlight in their um, brag sheet and hopefully on their recommendations later, um, actually leverage that in their essays as well. Set that up for success. Um, I use a, <laughs> do you know what a MacGuffin is? I've heard of it, but I'm, I don't know, actually, Mark. Enlighten me. So MacGuffin is, uh, it's usually, I mean, it's usually referenced in, in, in movies and uh, books. And basically it's it, uh, like the Maltese Falcon. The movie isn't about the Maltese Falcon, but it is the vehicle on which the story is told. So you don't speak specifically to what you want them to focus on necessarily. So in an essay, I, I tell students, I, I tell them, use a MacGuffin. Don't necessarily tell them you're talking about your self-driven learning or your curiosity, but give them examples so that they, after they're done reading your essay, they go, wow, this kid is really curious or this kid is really self-driven in their learning. You don't outright say it, but they understand 
that's implied throughout the essay. And they come to that conclusion on their own. I tell students, do that in the essay, but also think of your recommendations can do that as well. And what you're doing is you're basically building this entire storyline without saying, I am a curious person. All of the evidence, the recommendations, the activities list, and the breadth of things that you've looked for, and also your essays can all say that same thing without saying it directly. And I think that's actually really a valuable way to have your application reviewed. No, you're absolutely right. And you know, I lo- I didn't know that there was a term for that. That is called a MacGuffin. <laughs> um, I just say that it's a vehicle. But you know, even as an interviewer back in the day, it's a lot easier for us to remember applicants um, and kind of figure out the type of person they are through examples or anecdotes that they share. And so, you know, I think that's the other thing to remember. Like during the holistic review, like it's a lot easier for me to picture who you are through actual examples uh, instead of just saying. Because like you said, like there's a lot of also buzzwords in admissions. Passionate, um, leader, you know, team player, you know, things like that. And that could all be true about the applicant, right? But having those tangible examples definitely helps paint the picture better um, in a holistic review process. I think the other thing sometimes, you know, sometimes students are like, well, what do I highlight about myself, right? And I honestly... You know, I actually had a student feel say, like, I should do service, right? I should do this, or I should be that. <laughs> and I said, there are no shoulds. You either are or you aren't. <laughs> At least that's my opinion, Mark. You can tell me if I'm wrong. But you you shouldn't let the admissions process change you based on what you think admissions wants to hear. Because, first of all, I think admissions is a lot smarter, uh, and they could detect if, if you're being fake. But also, you know— the admissions process, in my opinion, is a personal growth experience too, right? And you can't fake it because who you are shows up every day in the communities you're a part of. So in letters of recommendation, right? So that's why I tell students, like, you know, really think about what are those personal qualities you want to highlight. And like you said, reflect on how they, they're evident. But at the same time, I would say there's no way, quote unquote, you can fake it. <laughs> exactly. I, I As soon as you said... Uh, the should statement. I should be doing this. I I think Yoda comes to mind. There is no try, only do. And I think that's, that's one of the things I think students have to understand. Evidence is the way that you provide an evaluator with real um, examples of who you are, what you've done, how long, and why it's meaningful. And like you say, I'm glad you brought up interviews. And since you've done interviews with students um, for for schools, um, I think that's one of the things. An application is just a conversation with somebody on paper. You're providing evidence in such a way that you are, are having this conversation to show them and give examples of why you say what you say is true. And I think the more points of reference that show why you are saying that um, is is the way that you really, you'll have an evaluator who wants to champion you. And since you talked about interviews, when you're interviewing somebody, what are the key components? Do you rather, would you rather have that student tell you, I'm a leader, and then just stop there and have them expect you to believe them? 
Or um, <laughs> would you rather have them say, you know, these are the things that I've done in my community. Let me tell you. And come to the conclusion in the back of your mind, you're going, this kid's a natural leader. Absolutely. It's those examples, right? The, the, I live for examples because at the end of the day, I used to t- tell students this, but letters of recommendation are basically me as a volunteer taking an hour or two of my time to write a personal essay to send to admissions for you. And I would just say, make my job easier in yeah. the sense that I'm trying to help you. Like, like you say, like we are also trying to advocate for you, right? Um, your interviewer. But it's really hard if there's nothing, I guess, specific that we can, no evidence that we can share with admissions in our letter. That letter becomes really short then. But if you have like some crazy tale or like some real solid examples, it's a lot easier for me to share that with admissions. Uh, So that's what I usually tell students is like, you know, first of all, it's just a conversation and we are rooting for you uh, and make our jobs a little easier by providing the details for what we're, you know, supposed to be writing about you. And at the end of the day, part of it is, like you said, just being able to hold a conversation, right? It's not just like me asking a question and you answering, but, you know, carrying a conversation and me figuring out, well, could I see this person having really interesting conversations on campus too? Oh, exactly. Yeah. Can I see this student on campus being successful. I usually tell students, if you've written an essay and the reviewer reads it, and at the very end of it, they're going, I cannot wait to see what this student is going to do over the four years on our campus. If you've done that, you have, that's a big win. That's exactly what you want to do. And one of the things I, I don't know about you, but when I read an essay or read an application, um, I a lot of times what I'll write back for feedback, one of the first things I do is say, don't just tell me, show me. And a lot of students, and I, I, a lot of times I'll give the, uh, the example, I'll, I'll write, I'll highlight something and I'll put, this is like saying, I can turn invisible, trust me. And then just walk away. You can't do <laughs> that and expect the person to believe you. It's just not going to happen. You have to give some evidence and support. And I think that evidence and support coming from different places, your activities list that shows this is something you've done for a long time, you've shown up consistently, and it's something that you are clearly passionate about in different avenues. If that's also um, supported by recommendations that talk about you've done this for a number of years, you've done it consistently, and you are a leader in your community, um, I think those are the things that really uh, get an evaluator who wants to champion you in, in your application. Yes, absolutely. And that actually, you know, brings me to the next point, whether it's recommendations, the activities you choose, or the essays you write, there are like awesome, awesome characteristics that I do think admissions looks for. And we talked about curiosity before, but uh, I love, I don't know if you're familiar with the resource from Making Caring Common, but they actually give some key characters like compassion, gratitude, grit, you know, um, perspective taking. And so these are all things that can come across, not necessarily through an activity, but even your your life, right? Maybe how you are with your family. Um, it doesn't necessarily have to be through something structured or something that has a name either. There's a researcher, uh, Angela Duckworth, who has um, 
her lab is called Character Lab. It's one of the th- one of the, her projects, and they talk about the development of character. And if you ever want to look and see um, the breakdown of character and how it's established and how you grow character, she has some wonderful writing on that. And I think if you take those steps back and you then move forward into how have I developed as a person and what are the character traits that I value the most. I have students do a a values exercise right at the beginning Mm -hmm. when we start working and talk about their own character and what they feel they lead with in the world. And I think those are the things that you want to showcase and bring forward in everything from your essays and recommendations and activities list so that the evaluator comes to the conclusion, these are what is important. These are the characteristics that not only do the student has, but are also important to them and that they have worked to mod- work to grow them as, a, as an individual. And I think, like you said, like a lot of that can happen through where students spend their time, right? And over time. And so that, I think, leads us to the activities list. I think mm-hmm. a lot of students speed through the activities list. Am I right, Mark? Or what do you think? <laughs> yeah, they, 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 they don't think, they think it's just supposed to be this laundry list of what they've done for the last four years. And while that is partially true, how they present it, um, what they actually present, the order that they present it. I've had a number of uh, representatives who have told me they actually like reading the activities list the most of the entire application. And the reason why, it seems kind of dry to be reading a list of activities, But they say you can tell as much about a student's character and what's important to them through that activities list and how it's provided than you can from a lot of the other parts of the application. So I think you're exactly right. Most students rush through it. What are the things that you tell students to key on in their activities list? I tell, well, first of all, I point out that, you know, put it in the order of importance to you because that's usually how it's requested, like in the Common App. But uh, and they overlook that; they they somehow miss that part of the instructions. But um, the because I think that helps us understand your values, right? Like you said before. The other thing I say is like it's not necessarily just a description because sometimes they literally I feel like they copy and paste descriptions. Um, from like the internet or something about right. this club or what that activity is. And it's more than that, right? Think about how you are interacting. So someone wrote I once a, a sports description and they wrote setter and that's it, Mark. That's all they wrote. And I was like, so what else do you do on the team? Right. And outside of just playing, right. Cause that is important. You know what you play and you know but he's like well I host like team bonding activities um, and I lead workouts sometimes and I said these are all great qualities that we learn about you but if you just write setter we're never going (laughs) to learn that right so I think it's like a deep dive to understand you know lessons impact all of those things too it makes you makes you want to encourage the kid can we put at least really good setter (laughs) (laughs) Can we start there? I, I tell students a lot of times, you know, it's roles and, and responsibilities. That's kind of, and if your roles and responsibilities in that activity are just a participant, 
that is it, that actually sends a message all by itself. If you just show up and that's all you do, boy, have you spent four years just showing up and that's all you did? And then tease apart, well, were there roles and responsibilities that you actually enjoyed or that you're proud of or that you would like to do in the future? And those are things I think that they really need to tease those out to give a better and more vivid picture of why they did the activity and why it was important to them. You're absolutely correct. I totally agree with that. And, you know, that's where I think the order also comes in, right? Because um, some students, I don't know if you have this too, they think it's like a like a job resume where they put, well, I've been doing this the longest. And so therefore, or I'm doing this currently. So that's why I should put it on, you know, first on my resume. And I'm like, yes, but there's other things where it sounds like you've really enjoyed your time and you've had a significant impact on. So it's not necessarily duration of time, but also, you know, what, what you find important, you know, and, and even though you may have discovered that a little later, you can still indicate its importance based on where you put it on the list. Well, one of the things when I talked with a lot of representatives who, um, and, and students have to understand their audience, a representative reads thousands of applications and they've seen so many essays and it, it all becomes one of this big blur cacophony of sameness. So one of the things that students have to understand, the human psychology of reading something, you often remember the thing that you read first the most and read the last. So those are the things mm. that generally stick in your mind. Well, if, and like you say, just because you've done it the longest and the most doesn't necessarily mean that's the best thing to lead with. Because if you want to capture the attention of the reviewer, if you are setting them up to have something reaffirmed and supported multiple times, you want to have the one that you're going to talk about in your essay be probably one of your first or second things that's on your activities list. Or if you know that you in your brag sheet, you've asked a teacher to highlight a particular activity that you know is going to be on your activities list, do that strategically because you want to make sure that they are not hearing necessarily sameness, but things that are basically going to um, build on each other and build a better picture. So maybe you can share an example of what a stellar activity description would be like. Oh, share with your kids. Well, one of the first things I, I tell them, first of all, you know, you have 150 characters. And like you say, you can write setter and just use a couple of them. That is one way to do it. And as you know, they're, they're, we see a lot of, uh, you know, maybe 15 character entries. Um, that's fine and dandy. But one of the things that also I've heard from representatives, how they represent their activity, their roles and responsibilities in that 150 character limit is actually saying a lot about them just by how they do it. So if they're using an organized approach, if they are providing, you know, using symbols, using commas and uh, semicolons effectively, making sure that they're not using personal pronouns so that when they provide an outline, it's a strategic, a clear, concise, and cogent statement using as few characters as possible, showing that they have thought about it, 
They've, they've been intentional with the, their, their use of words and punctuation. All of those things, although they're not saying, I'm taking this seriously, when they do that, they're saying to the reviewer, I'm taking this really seriously, and I want to make sure that you see it in the best possible light. And I think students don't understand how they say things is just as important. Yes, uh, they, they definitely don't consider that sometimes. And I always stress, I don't know, it's, it's a pet peeve of mine, Mark. I don't know if it bothers you, but consistency. Like if you're going to use and start the activity description with capitals, then do it for all of the activities. Or yep. if you're going to do commas, then do commas. If you're going to do semicolons, do semicolons. But I'm like, you know, I think it says something about you too if you are able to be consistent in the way you describe your activities as well. Well, and that's one of the things I think all all editors, my editor, uh, all the editors I've ever had, it, it all comes down to if you're going to do something, do it consistent, consistently. And even if it's wrong, do it consistently. Um, <laughs> it shows people that, that you know that you're, you're actually uh, having, uh, you're doing it with forethought. One of the things that, that gets me all the time is, is whether you end it with a period or not. And mm. that's really, it doesn't matter, but just do it, like you say, consistently. And I think those, those are things, the capitalization exactly, cur- I mean, I, I couldn't agree more. That's, that's one of the things, if you do it consistently, I think reviewers have a lot more um, ability to, to, uh, to accept whatever you put down, as opposed to if it's inconsistent, that's when it kind of gets their ire up. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Do your students, I, I guess the last piece that, you know, I kind of brought up before, but I, I'm curious as to how you guys use it, but do your students also use the additional information section? Oh, additional information. So, you know, classically additional information was supposed to be, if you had any discrepancies with your grades, it was a place where you could outline what went on. And, um, I've, I, I know you've had students who have done this as well, and it's, it's, it's human nature to try to make excuses. And I, and I tell them, uh, you know, don't use this section to whine. Don't throw a teacher under the bus because yes. by doing that, you're saying something about who you are, not about them. And so the, the additional information, anything that um, I think this section has become one of those areas where students who have something that might not be uh, that is completely applicable to who they are and what they do that might not show up or might not make sense in the rest of their application. I think that's where the additional information section is a great opportunity to do that. You want to make sure that your statements are clear and concise and not rambling and show that you are very intentional what you're presenting. But um, how about you? What do you encourage students to provide? I think I encourage them to take advantage of it if it applies to them. So again, it's optional. It's you're not required of it uh, because it's again more right uh, reading for your admissions officer. But I've always heard admissions officer appreciate it um, in terms of providing context. So whether, like you said, it's context for your grades, or maybe context into you know other things in your life that might make you different from your peers. Um, but to have that context if it's affected. So I think a lot of my students, yes, some of them use it for grades, some use it for family situations. 
Some use it for health situations or conditions. Um, but again, it's that idea of providing context, and that's so valuable in the holistic review process. Agreed. That's one of the things I, I, I've heard representatives say that they also enjoy reading the additional information because it says more about a student by whether they've taken an opportunity and what they provide and how they provide it and the tone of just that section. You can tell more about their character than almost in any other place in the, in the application. Meaning if they take the time to uh, whine about why they got an A minus in one class, um, you can tell a lot about that student's character and why they chose this is something that they really thought we should know about. And so I think that's one of the things that student needs to know when they take that opportunity to use an optional section in the additional information, they should do so wisely and, and, and knowing that a, a reviewer is going to read into what they provide as much as what they don't provide. I love how you said that. And especially because there's actually two additional infos nowadays, if you think about it, with the yeah. pandemic, there's also the COVID section. But I think you're absolutely right. It's how how you frame it, how you well, well, speak to it really speaks to character. Absolutely. And I think, so UT Austin this year had the COVID question and it was uh, basically, they said 250 to three, 350 words, but it wasn't optional. It was a non-optional essay. So they wanted to know, uh, you were supposed to describe uh, how COVID had had an impact on you or your academics or your life. Well, for those students who didn't have any impact on their life or their grades or their academics, um, they were forced to provide some kind of, of, a, of an answer. And I've, I've, I, it became this non-optional option. And I, I thought that was what a, a very strange way of, of finding out what students uh, would say about their situation with COVID. I think, but again, I think that speaks to, and I don't know if they realize that, but how you speak about it, right? Like you can obviously say, I am fortunate uh, to have nothing, you know, to not have a significant impact. Um, but that would help us understand gratitude, hopefully, depending on how you answer that statement. Exactly. I think what you say and how you say it says more about who you are and your character than students realize. And I, I asked, I had students applying to UT Austin. I specifically told them, um, actually turn this around and say, I've been blessed that COVID has not had an, a direct impact on my academics or my life. Um, and then outline, you know, like you say, gratitude and, and understanding that not others have been so fortunate. And I think that's one of the things, what you say or what you don't say is actually um, as important as, as actually the content. Yes. Uh, it's been a really interesting cycle with holistic admissions, for sure. A lot of new prompts, too. Uh, I don't know if you've seen that as well. New, new essay prompts that are asking questions. And some of my students ask me questions and they're like, I don't know that I have an answer for this one. And I said... And that's holistic admissions in another way, too, <laughs> right? In terms of, uh, I would say, 
And, and I think I, I raised it to the student. I said, so then I want you to think about, right, a holistic goes both ways. It's when you read these questions, it's also a chance for you to identify, is this the right fit for you? Agreed. You can turn that, you can turn the question around and say, is this really the right place for me to be applying to? I think one of the places, the, the gratitude, the new gratitude prompt um, for the uh, uh, common application essay um, this year with the, how, how have you exhibited gratitude um, or have had gratitude exhibited for you? I think that is an interesting place for those students who it's, it's actually a sign of maturity and how they, how they view the things in their life and what they, um, what they really value. And I think those kind of character traits, it's just another place, like you say, with holistic um, evaluations, I think those places where you can identify areas that you can highlight your character and support it with examples. It's a, it's a great time to do that. Yes. I hope they have more prompts like that. Uh, <laughs> I think I, that would have been such a great prompt back in my day. I feel like to have that one um, and to get students to really reflect because for example, if you're going to talk about being grateful for material things, I think that says something about you. And then versus like if, you're grateful for experience or time or, or something else that might have happened. Absolutely. Um, but what, I guess, what would be the key takeaways you want our audience to get away from holistic admissions, especially since it's such a prominent part of post-pandemic ad admissions these days? Well, one of the key things that I think students don't realize is they actually have areas of the application that they have more control over in providing you know, a broader perspective of who they are and what's important to them. One of the key places that I think we've talked about brag sheets um, in previous episodes. So I think this is one area where students are always worried that they're going to lead the witness or um, when they ask a teacher for a recommendation and provide them with a brag sheet. But I also think students should see brag sheets as an opportunity to provide um, teachers with an idea of, I'm trying to provide this holistic view of who I am and my character and my values. And these are the things that I'm going to focus on. And using a brag sheet to, you know, communicate that to a teacher so that when a teacher writes their recommendations, they can also highlight those same characteristics so that there again, you have those touch points from different perspectives throughout your application. So what are some of the things that you would encourage a student to do in their brag sheet that might set their essay and their activities list up for a better holistic evaluation? That's such a great question. So for the recommendations, I often tell them to consider who they are, you know, to the classmate, right? And remind them that this brag sheet, because believe me, I don't know if you get the pushback to from your students, but they're like, really, Anna? I have to answer all these questions because sometimes they get the ones from the high schools and sometimes the high schools have over 20 questions here on the East Coast. And I, I say, yeah, you know, you want to thoughtfully answer them because this is an opportunity. They're taking their time to advocate for you so you can make their job easier by including real examples that they can visualize um, that speak to important qualities that you want to share with admissions. And so I often tell students like, hey, don't just spend a day or two on this, you know, because most of the time on the East Coast, they 
they give the kids anywhere from two weeks to two months to work on them. But like, I'm like, be thoughtful because at the end of the day, your poor counselor has to write like maybe two, 400 letters of racks, make it easier on them. Agreed. Having been a teacher and written hundreds of, of recommendations for students, I don't think they realize um, it takes, I mean, a, a good recommendation is going to take an hour, hour and a half at the minimum. Um, when you first start doing it, it takes longer, especially because teachers really want to support students. And I think students need to understand if you set a teacher up for success and so that their time is respected and valued, and basically that same value of gratitude that we talked about, um, if you are setting them up so that they can support you powerfully, you have just respected them in the best way possible. And if that requires, you know, basically a, a really good um, overview of what your application is about, who you are going to represent yourself as, um, things that are important to you in your activities list, all of those things, just give little, you know, you're, you're throwing a bone to a teacher and saying, these are the kind of things that I really want you to talk about. Or if you have examples that would support these in a different perspective, that would be of most value to me and my application and my college campaign. And I think that's one of the things that, that students have to understand that brag sheet, when they thoughtfully provide evidence and examples for a teacher to include in their recommendation, they have just shown them great respect because that's going to be able, that's going to enable them to write the best recommendation with the amount of time that they're going to put into it possible. I love how you said that respect, right? For their time, for what they're doing for them. And I think the key takeaway, especially talking today with you is consistency, right? We have brag sheets here where the schools ask, what will you be writing your essay about? And again, I think it's like you said, the teachers really want to advocate for you. So especially in holistic admissions, I think it is being consistent um, is really important. I agree. And I think that if you, if you, if you peel back the layers of the word, you know, holistic, um, it is a consistent and a, a, an overall, an overarching view. And a consistent message is always more powerful than if it's all over the board. And I think that's one of the things that if students approach their application as a consistent statement from multiple perspectives, that they can't go wrong. And that's going to make their application really shine. And I think the best part is that they will get to, like, you know, going back to there is no, in holistic admissions, there are no shoulds. There's nothing you should be. <laughs> um, it's an opportunity to show yourself to admissions and have them understand if you're a good fit too for them. And so that's one of the things I think I really enjoy about holistic admissions at least is I hope it encourages students to just be themselves. I agree. I think, I think that's the direction that more colleges are going. And even though it requires more time of them, I think colleges are also finding out that when they take a step back and they're not looking just at metrics and numbers, that if they really are holistically viewing a, a student and their character and what they're bringing to the, the campus, that they're going to have more successful students. Um, and I, I, think, I think colleges are actually discovering that, and that's probably the wave of the future. I love that.
Well, thank you so much, Mark. This was so fun. Thanks, Anna. Thanks for listening to College Admissions with Mark and Anna, where we make getting into college easy and fun. Don't forget to go over to iTunes and subscribe to get updated each time we release a new episode. Also, for more helpful college admissions information, visit our website at www.collegeadmissionspodcast.com.